The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Edition number three, don't bet on it. I'm RJ Bell. Don't bet on it. What do you mean? That means we take the hottest takes of the week and we tell you what Vegas thinks of them. When I say we, it's me, RJ Bell, and the hot take hot shot, Steve Cofield. How you doing, Steve? I'm good. Too many hot takes to squeeze into one show. We're always we trying lot. to pare it down. <laughs> we're we're going to talk a ton, a ton about this college basketball investigation. We're going to talk about LeBron James comments, Jalen Rhodes, Stan Van Gundy. Also, it's going to be a new mm, segment. RJ interrogates the hot take hot shot Steve Cofield oh. about his take on college basketball. <laughs> also, we're going to tell you how to handicap these investigations. Also, stuff from John Gruden. And the best take of the week comes from Colin Cowherd. We got some Johnny Manziel sound and a radio host that went nuts. I mean, this wasn't a hot take. This was a take him away to Bellevue kind of take. Then we've got our props of the week. Then a little bit of Oscar tips. And by the way, a 29 and 0 trend. 20, not perfect. 29 and 0. And also, the hottest take of the week is from Stephen A. Smith and then Steve Cofield, rapidly approaching 50 years old, get off my lawn take to end things. Here we go. Showtime! Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love that. Where are the ladies for us? I heard them in the background. <laughs> they're, they're, out, they're out in the parking lot. Sure, they're going to come in later and ride, uh, ride Space Mountain. All right, so so now <laughs> let's start with this college basketball talk. And the first, I guess, premise of this conversation is, you know, how valid is it that these players, these college basketball and football players, should they be making money? LeBron James has a strong take on that. Obviously, I've never been a part of it, so I don't know all the ins and outs about it. I don't know all the rules and regulations about it, but I do know what what five-star athletes bring to a campus, both in basketball and football. I know how much these college coaches get paid. I know how much you know these colleges are, are, are gaining off these kids. I think very valid point, very logical, is there's a lot of money being made, and the kids beyond the scholarships not making it. I thought this week was one of the craziest week for hot takes. All these people descending upon college basketball who don't cover college basketball. And they're like, they make lots of money. The players need to be paid. Let's think a little bit here. I don't believe they should be paid from the NCAA's money. I think there's other ways to do it, but I am hundred percent against them getting paid from that. Those billions of dollars with the TV contracts. I actually don't think it's feasible and I don't think it's legal. Well, all right. How is it illegal? Let's start there. I think Title IX will always get in the way that uh, when it comes down to it, people are like, hey, just pay the revenue sports, pay the, the people who drive the bus. Well, how many of those players on the team, like does the 12th person on the basketball team or the 75th on the football team, do they get money? And then what happens when women's tennis and the men's wrestling team come over and they're like, hey, we want to get paid? Well... What's the premise of being paid? If we listen to what LeBron said, and if we listen to, I think, some of the more reasonable 
arguments in favor of paying, it's not cause, oh, they're putting in X hours a week. We should pay them like someone, someone at a fast food restaurant. It's that they're generating a bunch of money, the players. And let's be candid. And one thing about hot takes and the Vegas cold cash, especially with the Vegas cold cash, you've got to be honest. You've got to embrace truth. There is no sacred cows. There's no political correctness. We just tell the truth as we see it. And the truth is, and Steve, you've been in Vegas here for decades. You've been very close covering UNLV throughout that time. We all know at almost every school, and there may be an exception here or there, but really so few it's not worth worrying about, is the football team makes money and the men's basketball team makes money. That's it. You dispute that. Not at all. Okay. Not for a second. So now the question becomes, shouldn't they then make the money? Because that's, in theory, the premise. The premise is no one's saying if you go play at the Y... MCA, you should get paid, even if you're playing basketball. Now, if somehow, some way, the Steve Cofield, the famous hot take hotshot here in Vegas, if he could make people want to join that YMCA to watch you play, then you could go in and say, hey, give me a little taste of that. It makes sense. So this argument that why isn't the girls lacrosse players getting paid, that one seems pretty simple to rebut. It's a matter of who's generating the revenue. Yes, but Title IX is in place to protect those athletes and especially the women, and they will come a calling, and legally they will win the battle because they win the battle every single time to the point where if things are not even at a school in terms of dispersal of funds to run programs, then men's programs go bye-bye. There are schools that, hey, we got to make sure the women have their opportunities. We used to have a good baseball program. Yeah, baseball. We had a good baseball program. Not any longer. Baseball program. Has to go bye bye. They're elite wrestling schools. Arizona State Wrestling is a proud wrestling program. At some point, it it reached you know the the brink, and they just said, "Hey, we can't wrestle anymore. Can't fund it." Okay, so I think we're now talking about a new topic. So let's put a button on the first one, which is: Do you agree? It's easy to ascertain. Now we can debate. Well, who whom amongst the football team, whom amongst the basketball team should get paid in, and in what proportion, I think that's getting in the weeds a little bit. But in general, you, if you generate revenue, you know, after expenses, there should be some profit sharing. In a way, it's not getting paid. It's profit sharing. I like profit sharing. Okay. All right. Agreed. Now, I also agree with you that Title IX is really a subsidy. What Title IX is, and also not just on the... What's the best way? Is it ladies? Is it girls? I mean, girls seem, I guess they're not that old, but what I do would you say, say ladies. La- I I'm going to say ladies. acceptable now. Because I'm going to offend enough people with what I really think. I don't want to offend them accidentally, right? <laughs> Inadvertently. <laughs> All right. So it's not just the ladies, right? Because there's uh, every other sport, like men's lacrosse, men's swimming, that is a net negative revenue sport. Is in it costs more to run it. Correct? No doubt. Okay. So every sport, and for the most part, except men's basketball and football, is being subsidized. Yes. Okay. So it's just the Title IX made it where it was stricter, where you had to subsidize the lady stuff too. Okay. So now, isn't that interesting? On one hand, you've got the star athlete on the football team, and on the other hand, you've got the 
20-year-old girls lacrosse player. And in if you pay the star athlete, there's less money to subsidize the girls lacrosse. So who wins there? Brilliant point, right? If we pay, then you might go bye-bye. Well, probably not, right? Because I don't think Title IX, I don't think the legislation is going to allow saying, oh, now that you want to pay this, and quite frankly, soon-to-be millionaire, you want to pay this likely, though not certain, soon-to-be millionaire, instead of letting our daughters play lacrosse. I'm not sure that's a politically uh, tenable situation. (laughs) No, not at all. So it is, now we all like, you know, Bernie Sanders style, it could be, well, give them free college, let them play lacrosse, let them play every, pay these kids. Yeah, but there's a finite amount of money here. Where's the money coming from? Because correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of these schools, even now not playing the kids, any of them, obviously, uh, a lot of them are running at a deficit, right? I mean, there's times that these schools will uh, keep coaches they don't want because hiring that next coach, they don't have it in their budget. I mean, over the years, has has UNLV had serious budget issues in the sports? Well, they've been a disaster the last couple of years. Five, six million dollars in the hole, and they had to shift money from somewhere else to cover the five million. But your case of your example of coaches staying on board because schools are like, we just can't afford the buyout. We, you know, or we owe on two previous contracts. There are schools all over the country in just a dire financial situation. Finite amount of money, and it's really girls lacrosse as an example or pay the star basketball player. I had an idea when we were prepping. I've never heard this before. And I think it's interesting. What about this? There's a a objective way. Let's assume to ascertain who's truly generating revenue. So how, how do you do that? In a way, I almost feel like maybe just let the kids do the endorsements because go ahead. I love that. Because in a way that the marketplace is going to tell you who deserves money and who doesn't. Because for 99% of the kids and 90 plus percent on football and basketball teams, the scholarship's a good deal. Right? With the price of schools now, absolutely. It's $250,000 to go to many schools for four years. Most football players are not worth $250,000 over four or five years. No, no way. So the ones who are, are are worth more than that, maybe by letting them do sponsorships or other things where their fame, their notoriety is the driver of their ability to generate money, it feels correlated to how influential or impactful the players are. Can I throw you something even easier than your sales department having to go and get deals for endorsement? You ready? What's well, one let of them the, what's, ha- just let them have an endorsement agent. What's good point outside the school right what's one of the things that people gripe about the most that's the most obvious uh crime when you go to the bookstore or the local sporting goods store and oh look there's number eight in the nebraska jersey we know who that is how about we stock 10 or 12 of the basketball players probably more like six or seven and 10 or 12 of the football players hey your jersey sells you get a cut of the money and again, it's Darwinian. It's the marketplace is deciding who sells. And hey, this quarterback thinks he's a big wig, but no one buys his jersey. Well, he doesn't make much money. And if you're a swim, and if somehow you're Phelps or something, and <laughs> right, you're a yeah. swimmer, could and happen. You, and people are buying your skull cap or whatever, then you make money. There could be baseball players who get money there. You know, at, at Big Ten schools, you're a Big Ten guy. I'm sort of a Big Ten guy with Rutgers, but uh, 
There are wrestlers who could make make money. I don't know what they would sell. You're not going to buy, you know, a number a 13 singlet. singlet but <laughs> it could be like a Dave Letterman uh, wrestling shoes. How about, <laughs> I like that. How about a jersey? You know what a jersey is? No. So a jersey is basically the shirt jersey. What about, why, why couldn't wrestlers have a jersey? Right? 135, you know, whatever the weight is. 135 and Jones. Hey, I love that wrestler. I want to buy his jersey. And I think this. You're right. The singlets, I don't think they're going <laughs> to. Someone single it. I think the outdated, but but in a way, you think about it with high school kids, right? There might be something there, but that are wrestling, yeah. right? So, and obviously in the Midwest, uh, Iowa, Dan Gable. I mean, it's as big as anything. Is to me, I think it's outdated. The idea of like, oh, it's got to be purely. Uh, innocent, you know, the whole yep. Olympic thing. Yeah. Okay. You don't get paid, but here's, you know, you can, your jerseys, you get that money, you know, or you can go do a car commercial. I mean, why wouldn't that? Now I get the whole idea and the reason they stopped the jobs, right? Was the old Joe. I remember the book, uh, Ron Luciano wrote a book called the umpire strikes back. It was an old baseball umpire. And when I was like 12 years old, I read that and he had another one called, I think strike two was the name of it. And I, cause it was like, you know, they talked about Rod Carew and the way he'd be at the plate, you know, from the umpire's perspective, but he was a, uh, Luciano was a player. I think at Syracuse, if I'm remembering right. And he had a job. His first year was a real job as a freshman, but then he got better and better. His senior year, his job was to make sure the benches didn't get stolen from the stadium, but the benches were like three ton concrete benches. <laughs> so I get the idea that you can funnel money through jobs and that would be somewhat complex. But I mean, how many people are going to really pay a guy to, uh, you know, do a car commercial unless they felt like that commercial was going to be profitable? Exactly. Yeah. And maybe and one thing I was thinking about, boy, but this would be complicated too, is the idea of, a vast majority of the players that would actually deserve real money are going to make that money soon enough in the pros. Now, there's exceptions, right? Injuries or guys like Tim Tebow, if it, if it weren't for other things, Tebow maybe wouldn't have made a lot of money. I also think there are a lot of college basketball and college football stars who simply are great at that level and are just not professional athletes. You know, I'm, you know major Agreed. league athletes. But but at least 80% of the ones that'd be selling real jerseys oh, yeah. would end up making the pros so maybe you just have some threshold hey anyone that makes over a million bucks in their pro career you're fine and if not they start taking out a little bit of money from the pot and then having some kind of stipend where the first 10 years after college is if you are of, of a certain impact in, in in college but you don't make it in the pros you get some thirty thousand dollar a year stipend for 10 years or something just enough where they where the people who don't need it which again it's starting to feel like socialism but the the players who all, all if lebron would have been one and done as much as if he would have been forced to be as much as it would have been unfair that people were making money off his back and i agree with that it's unfair he 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 would have made enough money that it's all just fine right sure. so the real issue is the players now we can also debate though oh they're eating you know ramen noodles and stuff when they're making a bunch of money even during the you know their career so it's a complicated issue it just seems like the current situation is who could think the current situation is even close to the ideal? No, it's not working, and there should be athletes, or the availability should be there for athletes to make money, which is why I want to hear from Jalen Rose. 
on what he thinks about, you know, potentially boycotting the NCAA tournament. Because I thought he had some really good things to say about that job aspect and the ability to earn on the side. Absolutely. And as you mentioned, this was Jalen on first take talking about the idea of boycotting, boycotting this year's NCAA tournament. Fellas, eventually this is going to happen where NCAA players look one another in the eye and realize the level of power they have in carrying the dollar as it relates to collegiate athletics. And they're going to eventually say, unless we're getting paid, we're not going to play basketball or football. I can be a high school athlete and I can't go straight to the league because the system is designed for me to go play in college so that you can profit off of me, but yet I'm not allowed to profit off of myself in any way, shape, or form. Not my likeness, like my, not my autograph. What if I had another talent? What if I wanted to be an author? I'm not allowed to do that. I'm not even allowed to get a job if I'm a scholarship athlete. And also, when you sign a letter of intent, you're also basically signing a shoe contract. Imagine if you go to a school and they're wearing said brand shoe and you decided you didn't want to wear that shoe. Guess what? You can't play for that team. So for the NCAA, I feel like they operate like an organized cartel. I think the way the athletes are being treated are basically indentured servitude. <laughs> I got strong at the end. Organized cartel. <laughs> what, what do you think, Kofi? So I thought there were three really interesting elements there. Uh, one, probably the least important, but we got to mention it. We just talked about jobs and side gigs. I like that he mentioned that. I'll give you a couple more UNLV examples. I'm going to lean on them. You know, Greg Anthony, the great running rebel from the arguably the best team of all time. He actually had, because he was quite the entrepreneur, he had a developing t-shirt business while he was in college, and they said, nope, can't do it. Let's go what, 28 years later, the women's basketball team had twins playing named the Gonzalez Twins. The Gonzalez Twins are on Instagram. They're basically IG models, right? They have 1.8 million Instagram followers. They can also sing. They had one year of eligibility to play this year. They are not playing because they also wanted to start their singing career. And because of NCAA rules, they had to pick one or the other. And they said, you know what? We're going to forego our final year of eligibility because we want to be singers. That is absurd. It, it, it feels like it's back to the Olympic stuff. Is It's just this idea that we're going to close our eyes and act like we're in some virgin world when we know we're not. But this is, a, you know, talking about this is my hot take of the week. Usually we do it at the end of the show. But since we are doing the college basketball talk, it's right here. And give me about a minute here because I think this is powerful. I just recently watched the Dave Chappelle special. He's had two uh, just in the last couple months on Netflix. Did you see it? Brilliant. And the highly debatable final piece of it, I thought was some of the best TV I've watched in years. So the final piece when he's sitting on the stool and he's talking about the book. Oh, yeah. 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 I actually ordered that book. So uh, I don't want to give too much away because if you haven't watched it uh, and I tweeted at RJ in Vegas about how, you know, I didn't agree with a lot of it, but it was thought provoking. It was fresh to me. I, I consume so much media when I hear something fresh, it just perks my ears up. And actually the best take of the week from Colin, I think is fresh about LeBron, which is almost hard to imagine. But one of the things he said was he talked about Nelson Mandela Chappelle did. And he said that as they looked back at apartheid in South Africa. What they realized was those who benefited 
from a corrupt system were also victims of that system. And once you embrace that reality, you realize, yeah, obviously there's victims that were jailed or beat or oppressed even worse, right? But it's not the idea with human beings to say, you're supposed to, by morality, by ethics, by, by, by deterrence, whatever it is, is you're not supposed to do something that's going to greatly benefit you. To expect that from everybody <laughs> is just, it, 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 it's important. You know, it just never is going to happen, right? So to, to then make the basis of the way we make rules, the way that as a society we conduct ourselves that, oh, well, let's just hope people don't do the wrong thing. Well, when has that ever happened? Not, I'm not saying there's not individuals that will do the right thing. I'm saying there's always going to be some that will do the wrong thing. And to me, these players that are being paid are victims. It's the same. They're benefiting from this system, right? Right. To go play college basketball and get $100,000, let's say. You might say, well, they're the beneficiaries. No, because what's happening is... One, these are 17, 18 year old kids at the start, at the jump. And the idea of them having a secret to hide, you know, that, that's the thing. The more I, the older I get, you know, in my mid forties now, younger and Steve, the older I get, the more I realize, <laughs> the more I realize that anything, you know, here's a good example. In my industry, pregame.com, historically, there was a lot of bad people, you know, scammers, let's call them. And what I noticed was when I saw an old school pick seller that I wanted to convert to the new way, I always found out they, they hated their customers. They felt like they, you know why? They felt like they were getting over on them. And when I kept saying, no, provide them with value, blah, 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 they couldn't hear that because they had spent a decade or two feeling like they were getting over. If a kid feels like he's getting over, if he's always got a secret to hide, that's hurting that kid. It's also hurting that kid telling him the society, the, the, the system's rules don't matter. Yep. And I, I get this feels a little touchy feely, but man, how many of these kids that don't make it in the NBA end up being like really greatly great contributing members of society? Now, some of it we could say, oh, maybe their upbringing wasn't great. Some of it is maybe they were corrupted along the way. I don't think schools prep a lot of these male and female athletes will stick with male athletes for the most part. I don't think they always prep them to be achievers. I think they cheat them out of the education sometimes. And your take on that's not gushy. Uh, if, if let's take that and just simply apply it to this question and can I do dumb guy on, and this is actually media people too, dumb guy on Twitter. Why is the FBI involved in this? RJ just told you. There are kids at stake. All right, it's getting gushy now. <laughs> but that is part of it. It's illegal. You're corrupting children. It's bribe, fraud, wire fraud. Save and, the children. And there's there's, <laughs> there's billions of dollars at stake. Yep. I mean, the idea they should. And, and it's also our national pastime. Not exactly our national pastime, a la baseball. But what I'm saying is watching college athletics is a huge part of the past uh, of the free time of a lot of people. And the idea that that's going to be corrupt to whose to whom's benefit 
meaning yep. the, the, the NCAA is supposedly a nonprofit institution. And Steve, you've been around this more than me. I mean, if you ever see these NCAA officials at a bowl game banquet eating, Say you it. realize. Say it. What do they eat? This is my favorite. <laughs> They're eating fists of shrimp. Yeah. They're, they, they got aluminum foil in their pockets taking shrimp home. <laughs> And and they're they're selling. Yep. I mean, they're they're, they're selling their gear. They're, I mean, it is just like. I mean, it, it's wearing their perverse. stupid jackets and wearing their dumb hats and eating shrimp. Just pigs. It, just it, absolute it's, pigs. It's perverse. And they're yeah. they're flying first class. Yeah. They're going to strip clubs and and expensing it. I mean, this boy and and then and the kids are eating ramen noodles. Yep. So on one hand, the kids aren't getting enough. And when the kids do get enough, they're being corrupted. Yep. And I also think these the coaches who are doing it are being corrupted. If you create a system that that makes it where, and this really does segue segue to our next point, which is the idea of the interrogation of Steve Cofield. Steve, you've got to take about how pervasive, how pervasive cheating is that I found to be really demoralizing. <laughs> you, I broke you? you no, I, that was a long time ago. <laughs> uh, you've been cynical for a long time. Um, my whole point is uh, if you're shocked that DeAndre Ayton, the number one or two player in the country, may have gotten $100,000, you're foolish. And if people are telling you that, the people you trust in the world of college basketball media, if they're telling you that, they're either at the teat, uh, they're naive, or they're just outright evil. Like they're willing to lie to you, I believe, because this goes back 50, 60 years back to UCLA and Sam Gilbert. Hell, some people will say back to Kansas and Will Chamberlain going from Philly to freaking Lawrence, Kansas. This has been going on forever. And here's the other thing. You know what it was going on in the 60s, 70s and 80s when the NCAA tournament wasn't worth billions of dollars? Because I've seen a lot of people are like, this is what happens when you make billions People are going to cheat. They weren't making billions in the past, but they were competitive. It's a whole system. It's a machine that they've built. So I'm sorry to tell you, folks, but the top 20 players, at least the top 20 in every class, are being offered money. There's a bidding process. It doesn't mean every school pays for every single player, but it is happening, and it happens every single year. And it's some of the people that you hold up as those who are doing it right, who are also involved you know, the guys who aren't Sean Miller, who everyone thinks, oh, they don't do it. Uh, they probably do it. But hold on now. I don't disagree with a lot of what you're saying, but on our national show on Fox, which is Friday, well, here it is. Straight out of Vegas, Fridays at 11 p.m. to midnight. Saturday starts an hour earlier, 10 to midnight. That's Pacific time. Is your point was this? Any. And it's kind of the culmination of what you just said. Any team that's consistently won in the last decade, let's say, is you think there's a extremely high chance. I mean, initially it was like for sure, but let's call it 95 plus percent chance that that team has cheated. At the lowest level, giving impermissible benefits, something straight out cash, homie, can't guarantee that. But if you're swimming in a pool with the top 10 schools and players are being offered by some of them, how do you think other schools get those players just because it's a great place to go? So think about that. It's, it, it harkens back to the PED debate, um, the idea that, hey, that player was mighty good, 
between 1996 and 1999, he must have been on the juice, on the clear. Sucks. Guilt by association. <laughs> it's not even that. Guilt by participating. If you participate, you're guilty. And I think you're probably right a, a vast majority of the time. And it it, maybe it's my naivete that thinks, oh, this Coach K. So l- listen, we don't know, right? You've, you talked about it on the Fox National Show. You know, you've been here and you didn't talk about any specific coach, any specific player, but you've been through a lot of coaches at UNLV is you would make a major bet, 99 plus percent likelihood that, you know, players have been paid at UNLV. Yes. So, and this has been post-Tark, right? You weren't here for Tark, whatever was going on then. And we haven't won anything here, right, since, really. So, it, it strikes me, I just want to hope, maybe Coach K didn't, you know, tell me, Shoeless Joe, it didn't happen. But, <laughs> you know, I don't know. And and to me, that is the most insidious. You want to talk about a corrupt, uh, where, where a corrupt system just permeates everything. You can't, as a fan, you can't even enjoy that they that, that that your team wins? Would you accept this one? I don't know if Duke does it or how they would do it because they got Marvin Bagley, the number one player in this class. They have the number one, two, and three player coming in next year. Kentucky's like, hey, what happened? So a lot of people are looking at Duke going, well, maybe they just started doing what Kentucky does. And then Kentucky, John Calipari fired back, and he's like, wait a second. Duke is telling their players that we're going to set you up for life. Would you be mad if you found out that schools, instead of giving cash, were promising jobs post-career for like five or seven years? Is that just a creative way of doing it? And in the end, would that actually be delivering what a college education is supposed to be for anyway? We all go to college to make connections and get jobs. Well, if it was, hey, we have an alumni association of former basketball players that really try to help each other, wink, wink. And here's an example of some guys that fell short of the pros and look now, vice president of this. And, but I think that's, again, it's back to the gray. I think that's legit. If it was like, Hey, you're going to get a job, uh, not to really work. You're going to be the ambassador <laughs> right. of, of good basketball, <laughs> right. you know, which is something they, some NFL teams and pro teams, the theory is, Hey, if everyone can get a max contract, who like the Lakers are known for treating their former stars really well and having that ecosystem. You know, what's funny. And again, I don't know much about cheating in the NCAA, uh, any more than just reading about it, but, it strikes me the Dukes and the Kentuckys might in the North Carolinas might be literally the only three schools that don't have to cheat because if you are going to move the needle at Duke, the odds of you going pro are astronomical, right? If you're going to move the needle there, not that everyone goes pro there, but, and I think the way those kids benefit are probably Reggie Bush style more where there's agents, there's other people that are helping along the way, like a lottery ticket that let literally the Dukes of the world don't know about. So that I hold up well under interrogation. Yeah. You know, you, well, the fact that you begged off the main point for so long is probably a sign, you, you know, the idea that, that it's just so pervasive. Even with no proof. I'll give you one more small example. And in that FBI report, my point is on the top 20 players, I think they have a decision to make and schools have a decision to make on the whole money thing. Dennis Smith, who's uh, with the Mavs now, was at NC State. Not a gigantic program, kind of that you know next level program. He was a number nine player in the country coming out of high school. He got $75,000 according to that ledger sheet. That's for the number nine player. One time. One time, Sonny. Yeah. 
And there you go. I mean, it just, but number nine player in the country. <laughs> number nine player in the country. But my, my whole point was, I think the top 20, uh, both sides have to make a decision because someone may be willing to give you money or you may have to compete against someone giving money. Okay. One more topic in this area. And it, uh oh, you didn't think we could get through this without talk of racism. We've got Stan Van Gundy talking about his take on this controversy and his thought that racism is at the heart of it. I think a lot of it was racist, quite honestly. I've never heard anybody like go up in arms about, oh my God, they're letting these kids come out and go play minor league baseball, or they're letting these kids come out and go play minor league hockey. They're not making big money, and they're white kids primarily, and nobody has a problem. But all of a sudden now, you've got a black kid that wants to come out of high school and make millions. That's a bad decision. Now this one, I think he's just playing wrong. And obviously there's racism in, in many ways. And, and quite frankly, racism that neither of us can really see, right? If you're not experiencing it, sometimes I, I think there's parts you can't see. But if you think about the economics of the NBA, there's a finite universe of players, right? 30 teams times the number of players in each team. There's a finite universe of money, the salary cap. And that number of players is going to get paid in aggregate that amount of money. It doesn't matter if a player is one and done or isn't one and done, you know, go straight from high school. There's going to be the same amount of money play paid out to players. And I think in general, the amount of minorities or disadvantaged that are receiving that money would be the same if there's one, one and done or not. Now with a specific player, that one player is going to have his payday deferred because of the forced one and done. But in any given year, in the calendar year 2018, the amount of money that the, the that would in theory be the victims of racism, the amount of money that those players in aggregate are being paid is the same as if there, if there was one and done or not. Agree, disagree. I agree. I'm not exactly sure what... Van Gundy was saying. No, it seems clear. He was saying, oh, in baseball, it's a bunch of white kids, so they they can jump whenever they want. Is it the system he's calling racist, or is it reaction to changing the system that he's calling racist? Because I think what he's indicating is that youngins can go and make money when they're not black. But there is a, there seems to be a big pushback from the public in terms of developing a minor leagues. Although, you know, maybe that's changed the last... I, I'm seeing more people come to grips with the fact that, like, Hey, let's have minor leagues and let elite basketball for basketball. For basketball. Instead, you know, let's run something. It'll be a lot smaller. Run something like Major League Baseball has. Well, Cowherd was talking about that a lot this week that, you know, from from Adam Silver's perspective is getting the NCAA out of this. I mean, in a way, the NBA is at the mercy of the NCAA right now um, because with the one and done. So and now listen. There's another angle to this, which is extremely valid. The powers that be, the system, which obviously has a less minority makeup than the players, they're benefiting from the, 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 the powers that be are benefiting from the one and done. Forcing a star player to come in and play one year helps that NCAA product. And we've talked about how, how the fat cats at the NCAA are benefiting from it. And so, yes, 
that there's a whole other ecosystem of money that might be what 30, 40, 50%. I don't know how much bigger. I don't think it's 50% bigger, 20 or 30% bigger because of the one and done, the amount of money generated from college basketball. And those kids aren't benefiting. It all comes back to those kids aren't benefiting from it. So there is a deferred element to it, but, and, and thus there is a racial element. I think that they are able to be, kept down or taken advantage of because they don't have political power, right? I mean, anyone that doesn't have political power gets crushed if money's involved. And I don't believe the NCAA is going to do anything to take any money away any money away from this whole cash cow. I think he's been a trailblazer in some ways. I think Adam Silver's got to be the impetus for this whole thing. He's got to make the change. And he's a forward-thinking commissioner. And, here, and here's the thing. College basketball will be fine. They may lose a little bit of money. So what? You're going to lop off, say, the top 30 players from each class. Uh, they go earlier to the NBA, the top 20. Maybe they're going to be in the minor leagues. And then you make you make your way yeah, with the next group the of stars, players. But those are the stars, though. But then you make stars with the next group of players. But you, Under that theory, then, the, the um, XFL should do well. Maybe college basketball would be better off in some ways without the one-and-dones because they'd have three- and four-year stars, which makes for a better... TV product that you can follow for three and four years. That's the way it used to be. That's interesting because you really don't know. Like I think back to, you know, growing up in the eighties, the glory days of the big East and the glory days of Patrick Ewing mm-hmm. and Pearl Washington and those ESPN. Why do you know them? Because they weren't around for one year. They'd be around for three and four years. Hell, if you want a modern example, and this isn't a great example, but Wichita state had some star players, Fred Van Vliet and Ron Baker. They were around forever and they became sort of household names, even though it was from a smaller school. Household names in Wichita. Wichita is a big time program. <laughs> I, I was telling you off the air, the, uh, the Koch brothers run the Wichita program. Their coach makes about four and a half million dollars. That's a big time place. They got a lot, a lot of money to my point. You know what? I don't know who is cheating and who's not. You may be surprised with who's given some inf- uh, impermissible benefits. What's interesting to wrap this topic is the idea that if there were a forced one and done or two and done or wherever. Like, so everyone's forced to go to college and those pay- players got paid. Actually, basketball players in aggregate would make more money because the NBA would be making the same. And now there's almost like a minor leagues that are, that are paying somewhat that if somehow we could find a way to properly compensate those college players, then the players in aggregate would be making more money. Now let's play big bank, take little bank. Okay, let's talk handicapping the investigations. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> well, I've been asking about this for weeks. You know, I've been completely fascinated with what could happen and who I should be betting on the title board. And let's have a let's have a little bit of bragging, Steve. Is you can tell us you came in and you said, Oh, I bet Arizona. So we're taping here Thursday night at the pregame.com offices in Las Vegas. Tell us your your ticket story. Well, I started this last Saturday when Miller, Sean Miller was taken off the court away from the program uh, for that Oregon game. I was asking you guys on and off the air, hey, I still like Arizona's chances. I even like Lorenzo Romar as a head coach. I don't think he's a big drop-off from Sean Miller in terms of X's and O's. I'm bullish on betting this team for the national title. It went to it went from 12 to 1 to 20 to 1 last weekend. Brad Powers, who's part of Straight Out of Vegas, said, "Hey, it may go to forty to one." As soon as I found out Miller was back today, I checked. It was thirty to one. Remember, it was twelve to one like ten days ago for the Wildcats to win the national title. So I put money down at thirty to one, and about eight hours later, now it's back down to twenty-five to one. 
You know you're the best. Yes. <laughs> and yes, I did a bit of thousand dollars on that. No, I didn't. Little scratch, little scratch, little that's, hedging. That's scratch. the best audio for people when they're bragging about something that's a little small. Just, just, just mocking me incessantly afterwards. I'm never stepping up and bragging again on the show. Oh, listen, it was fun. Yeah. Five minutes for everybody. Brag. Listen, all the tens of thousands of listeners are benefiting. See, that's what's important. All right, let me hit you with the. Let me put on my handicapper hat. RJ Bell here, pregame.com is. I well, let, let me just lay it out. And it, it's not a huge impact. So let's start there. So so I'll lay it out in a way that is quick and doesn't take a bunch of time. So anytime there's uncertainty in a betting market, the first thing you have to identify or price is how impactful that element is, that factor is. And then you gotta ask yourself, how is it being priced in the market? So an example, Tom Brady gets hurt. You believe with Hoyer as a backup, he's worth six points. If the market moves eight, yes, Tom Brady being out is impactful, but not as impactful as the market has moved. And thus, you should bet, at least it would push you to bet it um, on, or I guess in this case, against the Patriots, no, 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 wait. It'd be on the Patriots because the line moved too much. Right? Let's say they were nine-point favorites. You think it should go down to three. It really goes down to pick them. Well, because they've overmoved it. Thus, Tom Brady's out. I'm betting the Pats. That seems counterintuitive, but it does show you there's two elements to consider. How impactful is it? How much does the market move? So looking at this individual case, I think, one, the impact could be in two categories. <laughs> One, it could be in two categories. That's pretty funny. Is players or coaches missing games? And Steve, let me get your thoughts on this. My thoughts right now is the odds of key players or coaches missing games from here on is pretty small. Very small. You think so? Very small. I mean, the Arizona case uh, unfolding midweek is sort of the example. Miller is back and he's alleged to have done the worst of the worst and he's still going to coach. Yeah, because these schools are going to show weakness. It, back, if it was just the NCAA, you show co- contrition and then you don't get as much pain later sometimes. But here it's the FBI, the feds. That's not going to work. They just, and I think Arizona figured that out. We talked about it on Straight Out of Vegas. Showing weakness was not a good idea, I thought, on and, their part. And I'll give you one program specifically. Michigan State does not want to show weakness at all with this after not showing weakness with all the Larry Nassar stuff. Can you imagine? Izzo didn't sit for that, but he's going to sit for this. Good point. And, and with Michigan State, I think they are the perfect example of the second category of impact, which is distraction. And... Listen, if you are a player, you're the, the best player on Team X, you know you got money, your team is on that list of 20, are you sleeping as well as usual? Take a look. Not only the player, Miles Bridges, I've noticed this the last week or so, Michigan State's top four choice for the national title, about five or six to one. Tom Izzo, I'm not trying to be mean, he looks like he is on death's doorstep. Like he's a president after seven years. The bag's under his eyes. He's looking super bald now. You know, I'm in the hair. Like I'm noticing a difference. He's looking peaked. Like he just, he, he looks like he's just sighing every five seconds. Just like, 
God, I can't. I mean, every freaking post game, he's got to answer this. He looks like the president, like on Independence Day with the aliens attacking. I mean, and it's in his voice. It's in his face. I agree with you. The And, and Michigan State's one of the favorites. And I also think Michigan State's a team, as we've talked about, the NCAA is going to try to make it difficult for them to advance because every round they advance, there's just more talk about all the controversy. So I think the impact, I think the impact of, uh, distraction is real and, and, and significant, but I think the market is probably pricing that about right. So my gut feeling is Michigan state might be the exception. Maybe it's more impactful because of the compound effect and maybe not being properly priced. But in general, I think very little chance of absence of players, though greater than zero, but little. I think the distractions are real, but I think the market's adjusting a half a point or a point on those teams, and I think it's about right. Agreed? Absolutely. So uh, Arizona way down, worth some uh, money. Michigan State, maybe a little too high. Back off. Thanks for enlightening me on this particular subject, RJ. My affirmation was not good enough. We have to bring in the big dog, Stephen A. Smith. I get it. I get it. I know my role. Next topic, John Gruden. Oh, Gruden. He's going to, you know, Colin was talking about this today about how entertaining Gruden is. Like if you're in the media, you've got to appreciate this guy isn't mumbling his answers. Well, they, they asked him about how he's going to use analytics. Are you talking about the analytics, the GPS, all the modern technology? Man, I'm trying to throw the game back to 1998. There's a stack of analytical data or data, however you want to say that word, that people don't even know how to read it. So I'm, I'm not going to rely on GPSs and, and all the modern technology. I will certainly have some people that are professional that can help me from that regard. But I still think doing things the old-fashioned way is a good way. Should we take him literal? Or literally in what he's saying. Because that's really foolish. Is he playing tough guy, old school football coach? Because the best coach in all of football is Belichick. And does Belichick use analytics? He's got that nerd Ernie sitting in the basement who is his analytics guy. Gruden, you have to use analytics now. Please. First of all, Ernie Adams, very well respected. He's a he's a nerdy guy who's sitting in the basement. They says, let him out. Says the Fonzie want to be here, <laughs> Mister Cool. I mean, reality. That's reality. He's the he's the one who sat there and crunched the numbers literally for like what four months and came up with the plan, or at least the warning. Hey, Malcolm Butler, our defense better be ready when you think see, uh, Seattle's going to run on this big play in the Super Bowl. They may run the short slant. Well, he, he was the one, rumor has it, that was uh, Ernie Adams was on the headset telling Belichick not to call a timeout in that situation. Um, if you like, listen, there's a couple books coming out on Belichick. Um, Mike Lombardi is coming out with a book, which will be related. And he he's actually committed to come in on our podcast for a featured interview before the football season. Uh, so that will be very interesting. I'll be picking his. He'll be trying to get out the door before I'm done with him. But um, there's a great book called The Making of a Coach. And if you're interested, and it really talks about Ernie Adams, and they met at college, him and Belichick, and they, they've been together almost, there's been a few years they were apart, but almost, in, but not since the Patriots uh, in Belichick. So uh, great friends. And Adams is a foot, you know, they say he sees things that Belichick doesn't in the film. So think about that a second. So 
here's what I think. I think that if you read about organizational theory and, and best practices, you've got to tell the people who don't get the publicity how important they are from the top. And think about a, a, a guy like uh, GM Moray at um, Houston. He's always, you know, he was on the Bill Simmons pod recently and he's talking about, yeah, you know, I do my work, but we've got our team and our team's so valuable. And if, if Gruden who gets more attention, you know, he'll get more attention in one day than any of the analytics guys with the Raiders are going to get for uh, a, a season. If he's saying how analytics isn't important, I, there's no reason to say like, what's the value of saying that all you're going to do is demoralize your analytics department. And when he says, well, yeah, we'll do some of it. You either got to buy in or you don't. And let's be candid. If you're a great analytics person and you're choosing which team to go to, isn't the Raiders the last team you're going to now? Right now, if he really means it. Yeah. If you want to be the star, but even if you he don't doesn't want to- mean it. Do you want to be the guy that right. is trying to pick up the girl in a bar? She goes, oh, you must not be too important. Uh, I think, heard Gruden recently. You think all women have that much football knowledge where they're like, <laughs> hey, I heard you're not a big deal. That's <laughs> <laughs> what Gruden said. I heard, I'm the head of analytics for the Raiders. I heard they don't have any analytics. <laughs> she walks away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, to, And I'll tell you this. I think whatever the negative reaction is, and I think it, it, it it's legitimately negative. I think it should be negative to what he said. And let's be candid. Vegas is not high on the Raiders and Gruden. And this is a guy, if you look closely at his record, if he didn't win that Super Bowl, and he, if he wasn't on TV all this time, I mean... I'm not saying he's not one of the top 50 coaches in football. He is. But is he one of the top 10? I, I don't think his history from 10 plus years ago says that. And I also think the fact that it's been 10 plus years and he doesn't seem to, it feels like almost like a Mike Ditka coaching the Saints. I think he can be top 10 if he has changed, if he has learned the game and learned the nuances, but he's acting like a tough guy in this case. And so now you don't, you can't buy it. But you know what it's like? It's like saying, oh, this guy that hasn't boxed for 10 years, if he stayed in shape, he'll be okay. You can't stay in boxing shape, even if you're running every day, even, you know, there's that. And you know, this as a guy who wrote for Yahoo about UFC and boxing, there's UFC slash boxing shape. And then there's shape for the guy at the, the 24 hour fitness. Oh yeah. You see muscled up dudes box or fight an MMA and they have no gas tank. Just cause you're all muscled up and you're ripped. Doesn't mean you have a gas tank and you train the right way to last 15 so you think Gruden, who is traveling around the country for all these games, the announcing gigs, could possibly be putting the hours in to 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 not only stay current but but grow as a coach during the last 10, 12, 15 years? It I, seems impossible. I thought he could if he was absorbing it the right way. And, and but, you know, but if Belichick's it. putting eighty hours in doing what he's doing, then 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 how could Gruden match that? Well, we said top ten coach, not uh, the number one coach. But I mean, I, Zimmer, whoever, all these coaches, except for a rare few, are putting in 70, 80 hours. What if I throw this at you? Chris Collinsworth is going to be the head coach. Would you trust him more? I think Chris Collinsworth <laughs> works the tape. I think he's a smart guy. He's a you know a forward-moving guy. I would trust him a little more than Gruden. I just I agree with you. I didn't like at all what Gruden said here, but uh, I, I bet I'm you confused. someone pulls him aside. Collinsworth, is he going to coach like, like a Tecmo team, like a man team? No, I just meant the way he works. I really think he works at it. <laughs> Well, yeah, but he's never coached, right? So I think if you say a month, it's almost like saying poker. Like I, if 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 you're not a professional poker player, okay, I am in the 99th percentile of poker players in that universe. 
Collinsworth is probably in the 99th percentile of football knowledge with non-coaches. But professional players that are spending 70 hours, or let's call it 50 hours a week, either playing or studying up, I have no chance against a high-level 10-20 no-limit player in the long run, right? You can always get lucky in poker. Uh, so I think that's the case no matter who. And I don't care if Belichick sat out for 10 years. I mean, forgetting how old he is. It, you know, you think Bill Parcells could come back and be a top-10 coach right now? Is it bad? No, he could not. No, not at all because he's super old-school guy. I also don't think his fire and brimstone approach would work with most modern players. Can I bring – can I use foot, uh, baseball as an example here for football? In the you know in the place of uh, so people would make the case baseball managing is the easiest thing to do. Okay. I mean, my example would be the Astros' winning manager is AJ Hinch. Hinch managed five six years ago, then went into management upstairs, and then came back down, and it looked like he had learned his lessons. Of course, he was also <laughs> given a much better team to work with than the first time around. Next up, the take of the week. This is so good, in my opinion, so fresh from Colin Cowherd the herd. No intro. Let's just let Colin talk and we'll go from there. Football. When Tom Brady broke into this league, I want you to think about this number for a second. When Tom Brady broke into this league, running backs were dominant figures in the league. Five of the seven MVPs in Tom's first seven years, running backs. Ten of the last 11 MVPs, quarterbacks. Sports, football, the NFL rules are bending toward Tom to make it easier to be a quarterback in the NFL, especially a veteran quarterback. Breeze, Ben Rivers had his best year. Brady, Matt Ryan. Why is it easier? No huddle, line of scrimmage intelligence, the ability to see defenses, read them quickly, much easier for a veteran player. It's a bubble screen league. You don't sit back in the pocket forever anymore. When Brady broke into this league, it was more running back focused. So Brady's able to extend his career because the sport is moving toward helping quarterbacks. LeBron's the opposite. LeBron broke into this league. You could drive to the basket, get fouled, and go to the line. LeBron's first six years in the league, Google it. He drove to the basket and scored in transition at the hoop. The league is changing away from LeBron now. It's become a shooter's league. So LeBron's had to adapt to the new league. It's officiated differently, according to those people who play it and coach it. One of the things that's really impressive about LeBron, he has been in the sport so long, 15 years, the rules have changed. He is a power player that entered a league where rules often helped power players and shooters. Now all the rules are for finesse players. You can't hand check anybody. That would be a huge advantage to LeBron James. If he could hand check you as a strong player, you weren't going to hand check him. He's 6'9", 260, no body fat. Now you got to be able to shoot a three. Can you imagine if Tom Brady broke into this league and now they changed all the rules where you could hit the quarterback more? There would be fewer calls if you hit the quarterback. So if they both lasted 15 years, Brady has a sport that is bending toward him and elevating him, and lengthening his career, and making it easier. LeBron's in a sport for 15 years that is now built to work against him. Think about that. Is The talk is, is LeBron the best ever, which I think is absurd, second best or third? I don't think very many people have him out of the top three. And I think he's right. I think Colin's right. Cofield is, if LeBron played in 1998... 
forget the physicality difference where he, he you know he has the benefits of let's say 1998's game style with the rules and all that he's not a great three point shooter so it takes away the strength of Golden State if the if the three was moved back 3 feet right now <laughs> where it's a tough tough shot wouldn't lebron have won every title probably in the last couple of years so the question is if Collins right, you've got to look at LeBron and say it's amazing that at a time where basketball is moving in a direction that's to his LeBron's detriment, he's still the best player in the league this deep into his career. That was a brilliant take by Mr. Coward. I like to show him respect. That was two minutes, and it was interesting the entire way. He's right. I, I rarely hear people talk about how the game has changed, and LeBron brought it up this week, and then people got all over him, where LeBron's like, yeah, the, the whole league benefits the shooters. I can't get any calls anymore. It's so physical. Call some fouls. Everything is for James Harden faking, leaning in, getting three shots on a stupid you know, three-point uh, foul. It's for the finesse guys on Golden State. But this is where I will challenge you. If you buy this, R.J. Bell, that LeBron, LeBron has the game bending against him or away from him, why isn't he the best ever for what he's overcoming and staying relevant and potentially making the ninth finals in a row? Because the guy you think is the best ever plays the same game or played the same game and mostly drove and was physical and got in the lane. Michael Jordan couldn't shoot the three-pointer at career 32% three-point shooter. What if Jordan in this era all of a sudden could get smashed in the lane? Uh, fouls weren't called. What if he had to play this NBA game? Okay, this is, first off, proof of why Steve Cofield is the hot take hot shot. Great question. <laughs> I'm going to defer it because we've got some good stuff to go here next 15 minutes or so before as we wrap up. And let's be candid. In May and June, we're going to love, we can do 20 minutes on this topic, right? When there's less stories. So tease ahead to, let's say, May 15th, <laughs> we'll be talking about it. All right. But boy. Very thought, and and again, I think if I remember right, Whitlock uh, was the first one to bring this up, and then Colin was talking about. It. So very insightful, though, and, and pretty amazing. I mean, I had never heard that before. I thought it was awesome, and and really for Brady and those quarterbacks, you know, I like to celebrate their greatness as well. But it is kind of amazing that you've got all these thirty-five plus year old quarterbacks still excelling. Hot take of the week every week, and when we say take of the week, we mean we respect every hot take's not bad. Right? But when they are, we'll tell you, by the way, we've got a doozy from Stephen A. coming up. A doozy. First, though, a little Vegas lifestyle. Johnny Football, Johnny Manziel, talking about his love of Las Vegas. I had this reckless, reckless plan. On a Saturday after the uh, after the walkthrough, I'm going to catch a, let's call it 12 o'clock flight to so Vegas. So you were on commercial. Did you go private? Oh, yeah, commercial. You, oh, United, United coach, everything. <laughs> so I fly out there. I'm like, okay, I'm going to fly out there from 12. I get there at 3 or 1 or 2 or whatever, 2 or 3 or whatever time it is, and I'm going to stay there for three hours, and then I'm going to catch the 1030 flight back so I can make my mandatory treatment session the next day uh-huh. for all the injured players before the game on. On Sunday. That is insane. <laughs> That's insane. That was really his plan. Johnny Football's brilliance comes through on the new Joe Thomas podcast. Seriously, Johnny? Come on, bro. 
Have you not been to Vegas before? You know what happens here. There is no, we're going to go there for three hours and leave and be all prompt and responsible. And you never walk away from the table when you're on a heater. Good point. <laughs> Come on. What, but, is, what is he talking about? Here's my takeaway. People are passionate about most people. I don't know about most. A lot of people are passionate about something. I'll tell a story. I had a handicapper, no name. He was fairly successful and he loved poker. We talked about poker a little bit ago. And this was years ago and Twitter was, you know, just starting out and you know, it might've been 2010, 11. I don't know. And on his Twitter, he looked at, he had like 50 poker players and no handicappers. And I'd be like, Hey, check out, you know, what 538's doing with this ELO model or check this out, check it out. I'm not interested. But if Andy Duke went on a date, it was like, you know, all he could talk about. And to me, that's when I kind of knew this guy wasn't really going to be successful because if your passion isn't your work, yeah, you can be competent, but Johnny Manziel's passion is to party, or at least it was, we'll say in quotes. And imagine how you, you, you've heard the stories about Kobe, right? Oh, the gym doesn't open up till 4.30, but he paid someone to helicopter in and open the gym so he could get a 4.30 workout before 7 a.m. flight. He... It sounds like what Manziel was just talking about. <laughs> it's just Manziel's passion was partying in <laughs> right, Vegas. Right. And for Kobe, it was basketball. So great tip for those out there, you know, trying to make career decisions, trying to make, you know, decisions about marrying that gal or not is what's her passion? What's his passion? What's your boss's passion? And how does it align with yours? And the flip side is what's your passion? Because if there's any way to make a living from that, do it. Oh, I'm feeling good about our Johnny Manziel bet from a couple of weeks ago. Yes or no? Oh, but you saw, start, but, but you saw something. You saw that he said he'd play for nothing. Yeah, but that's that's so reeks of desperation. Great. So I don't care. That's, I still win. He doesn't mean it. He's come on, clownish <laughs> Johnny Johnny but, football. But he's right to think that if he takes minimum or whatever. Right, and he he does well. He can make millions after. I don't think the money's an issue, though. Is that the number one issue for NFL squads? Or like, is he worth the money? He either is or he isn't. Yeah, we'll see. Again, we you don't have we don't. That's the beauty of bets. You don't have to relitigate it. Someone's <laughs> going to win, and someone's going to lose. We already made the bet. Next up, we've got oh that crazy radio guy. Then a few props. Then a twenty nine and zero Oscar. Trend 29 and 0 with five instances this year. Then the hottest take of the week, LeBron and Stephen A. Wowza. And then Cofield screaming about the kids on his lawn. Next up, we've got that crazy radio guy. Cofield, why don't you set this up? So this is Chad Duke's show. He's on JFK, the fan in Washington, D.C. He's a little aggressive. He had Ian Rappaport on, Rap Sheet. NFL insider from NFL Network. So Rap Sheet is talking whatever. It really was not going well anyway. He didn't seem very interested. And all of a sudden, Rap Sheet decides, hey, I got something more important to do. So he's not part of your team. Then, so once you decide so he's not part of your team, then it's really just, you know, get what get for him. Ian Rappaport is my guest. I'm Chad Dukes, first for NFL Network, of course. The exclusive. I'm, I'm sorry. I need to take this phone call. I apologize. That is the last time we have son of a bitch on this show. I swear to God. What a piece of garbage that guy is. That's twice he's done that. 
That's twice. And he sucked. And he sucked. And no, he had absolutely no. God, I hate that guy. Here's, here's. <laughs> We've got to sound the magic, baby. All right, Cofield, let's set this up. The hot take hot shot is almost universally. It was like, boy, what a petulant child that radio host is. But somehow, someway, you've got a different take. The radio host. I back radio host. I'll admit that. No, the defense of Ian Rappaport in this case has been, you don't understand his job. His job is to give out breaking news on the National Football uh, Football League, not entertain your listeners. You're right. It's not his primary duty. But he committed to do an interview. Finish the commitment. That, that goes for every walk of life. If you commit, devote the time. Put aside the distractions. Just do the interview. Now, you've been, again, we can talk about how important Rappaport is, right, and debate that. But you've been in meetings with people that were very important relative to yourself, and I certainly have been. And, you know, I'll give you an example. I'm, you know, fortunate enough that, you know, Colin and I have become friends over the years. We'll be talking on the phone, and sometimes we'll talk for a half hour. Sometimes... We'll talk for three minutes and he'll say, "Uh oh, I got a call. I got to run. Now, it's very possible that it's freaking Nate Silver calling him or or I'm sorry, not Nate Silver, uh, Adam Silver. It could be Nate Silver <laughs> calling him. And to me, I'm figuring any minute that I'm getting the chat with Colin, I'm probably learning something, especially if we're talking about media, which I tend to focus on because that's his expertise is Rappaport doing a local Washington show. He's doing, you know, there's power dynamics, right? Is, are you going to get upset? Who's your favorite other than me? <laughs> who's your favorite ongoing guest right now that you, you do 15 hours a week of Vegas radio. Who's your biggest name guest that you get on a regular basis? I don't, we don't, we're not a big name guest show anyway. If you're asking me who is the best ongoing, it's no, nah, I'm saying who are you lucky enough to have? I don't look at it that way. I, I could do a show with no guest. I don't care if yeah, I ever but, have but guests. Someone, so if I, if, if, well, I, I think we're going to get RJ, the weeds if you, here. If you, if you constantly had to leave the interview, then at some point your value diminishes. But was this constantly or was this a second time ever, supposedly? Second time, which is amazing that they gave him a second try. Really? Yeah, I just, well, I don't, I don't, I don't view. Let, let me ask you. Okay. Yeah, I don't view any insider as so vital to a program. But if it was someone that was quote unquote vital, you would be okay with it? No. All right. See, let me. I just, you, I, I draw the line. I just, you know, you're doing let, the show. Let me or give you're you an not. example. You're screwing over. That's that's disres- It boils down. Maybe to, that's why that's, I'm taking. Maybe that's why I'm having so much success in the radio business. Because, well, because I'll give you an example. You don't hang up. You don't. No, you don't get no, no, distracted. No. You do the spots, and your spots are good. I know you're engaged for every freaking spot. You try to make every spot your best spot, and whatever's going on around you, the spot takes precedence. It's true, but I'll tell you this. That's because I value the spots. I, I don't do, I do like 15 a week, but they're all big spots that I care about. And, and uh, thus I value that relationship. And you turn some down now because guess what? Maybe I can't devote a hundred percent or it's just not that important to me. And that's if Ian Rappaport has breaking news coming in every single minute, then don't do any but that, radio interviews, but it, brother. Let me give you an example. And, and again, this is a little inside baseball. So yeah. we'll, we'll keep this shorter is in our featured interview, our Vegas Truth interviews, we call them, as part of Podcast One. So really, right now, we've got three shows. We've got Don't Bet On It, you're listening to. we got the Dream Preview that releases every Wednesday in the AM, 
right? Obviously now a lot of basketball, Fezzik and Brad Powers. And then we've got our featured Vegas Truth interviews. The first one came out last week. It was, oh, I'm sorry, came out a few weeks ago, Oscar Goodman. It took me probably three hours to go through two layers of people to even, first of all, it took me a couple calls to get anyone's contact info. You helped with that. Had to email someone. They pushed me off to someone else. I wrote up like a 500 word proposal of what the interview would be like. It took a couple weeks to secure it. Then it had to be exactly when he said, I'll be here at 11. So I changed my schedule and he loved Bombay gin and I bought him a fifth of gin. I didn't have to buy him. But I thought, hey, it might put him in a slightly better mood getting that fifth of gin and I'll get gin and I'll get a little bit better interview. And I think the interview turned out great. Right. So it, I'm re- anxious to have Colin sit down for two hours with this interview. I can promise you if he tells me midnight, I'll be here at midnight. He tells me whenever I'll be here whenever. If I'm going back home to my sister's or my sister or my niece's confirmation, I'll probably cancel that flight if he says that Saturday. You know, so that's me. Yeah. That radio guy. Now, if he, now here's what I didn't like about that radio guy is he was saying, oh, he's so terrible anyway. Then why did you have him on to start? If you don't value your guest. That's a good point. I get that, that, that you, that you don't care. If he pees you off, you're going to be mad at him. But why have a guest on you don't value? I'll come back with something else in his defense, of course. Um, I also think a lot of what he's doing is a bit. It's Chad Dukes versus the world. He's a no-nonsense trash talker. So he kind of he put forth that image. And I have to mention this. This is important. I'm not saying there's no valuable guest. And I actually, every guest. <laughs> no, no. No, because the more I thought about it, I'm not, you know, you, you, you like to have on guests. They bring value. If you respect them, they respect you. Uh, and I appreciate anyone who devotes 10 or 12 minutes to talk to my dumb ass on radio. That's cool. Uh, I'll give you, here, ready? Here's a little brag. I would say the biggest guest we've ever had on the local show actually was, you're going to laugh at this, President Obama. What? Before he was president, it was three weeks out from the election. They were making a drive in Nevada. My partner at the time, Dave Koken, had a connection, and we got on a radio tour with President, well, President-to-be Obama. Now, if imagine if he, <laughs> all of a sudden, <laughs> four minutes in, was like, sorry, I got to go. My guess is I probably wouldn't have exploded like that son of a bitch. I can't believe you did that. I hate that guy. So there, there are certain level guests that you do respect. And I would do that for President Trump as well. That would be I would love to have a conversation. A la Jim Gray who's like the only sports guy so far. who's had a good conversation or had the opportunity to interview President Trump. It's just occurred to me what the student body has been chanting for the last two or three minutes. It's the name of <laughs> Steve Cofield <laughs> interviewed President to be Obama. That was a surprise. And if he had hung up the phone on me <laughs> for something more important, I would have been okay. If it's sti- <laughs> if it's stick, then why are we even taking anything he says seriously? Well, I think there's a lot to be debated about stick or no stick in the sports entertainment business now. Except the guys that really succeed. You, I, I tell you, I've been watching more first take because of this show. And Stephen A believes what he says. It's so obvious. Do you believe all of the five and six million dollar men in sports believe what they say, or they go home and they're like, "That was that was a good bit." Well, I'm going to stick with that. Who's the five or six? It's Colin, right? It's Stephen A. Uh, on Fox Sports Radio, Mr. Bayless. 
I think sometimes okay. it's a bit he, bitish. He seems the most disingenuous. I have no idea. But if I had to guess, you know, if there was a truth detector, I'd put him. I'll tell you, I actually like the show with Max better than I did. Because to me, Bayless and Stephen A are very similar. I, I, I like Stephen A's approach better. But it, it, it strikes me having Max is a real analytical guy. So it's kind of a good one, too, I think. So, Okay. <laughs> We've got some. You tried to get me. I don't think you boxed me in there. You cornered me. <laughs> hey, I fought you my impressed way me with the President Obama. Blew you away a little bit. All right, we got some odds on, and Steve, I'm not sure you say updated first quarterback picked, and then you've got non quarterback. So I think it's updated number one overall pick, quarterback or not. So why don't you read the odds? Oh, what this actually was, you're right. I mislabeled this. It was the, the number one overall pick in the 2018 draft. Updated. A lot of quarterbacks on the list. So Sam Darnold, plus 175. Josh Rosen, 285. Saquon Barkley, running back from Penn State, 425. Josh Allen, quarterback from Wyoming, 650. Baker Mayfield, 10 to 1. Sorry, I laughed at that. Field can be any other player, 5 to 1. All right. So if you had to bet one of these, not saying you would, who would it be? Field. Really? So who do you, who could you imagine jumping up there? I think that. We could see trades. We could see the Browns trading out of But wouldn't the spot. that be someone wanting a quarterback? Yes. But I don't know that they're going to trade that pick when they trade down. I think they're going to get the best player available at number one. And I guess part of it is I'm hoping it's not Saquon Barkley. I'm not a Browns fan. But there's enough value. I believe in drafting defensive linemen, you know, left tackle. So I think there's some value there at five to one. That's yeah, an interesting point. That is an interesting point. Uh, it just seems like with quarterbacks, these the halls you can get someone. It only takes one, right? It's like getting married. It only takes one girl to think you're the best. My opinion on this will change based on what we discussed. I think on the last don't bet on it. If the Browns get involved with one of the big name quarterbacks, well, there's one. Uh, if it's Kirk Cousins, then all of a sudden that number one pick looks different. Mm, that's true. And you're right. They will trade it. And then some team will move up and try to grab one of the quarterbacks because the Browns are like, hey, we have our $25 million man, take our number one pick, and we'll take a boatload of picks. But if they don't sign a quarterback, the Browns, do you think it's possible, it's reasonably possible, the Browns, if they keep the number one, so two contingencies, they don't get a quarterback from free agency, and they keep the number one pick. In that case, you think there's a reasonable chance they would they would draft other than a quarterback? Yes, but I also can't make this decision because John Dorsey, the GM, has already thrown out what maybe smoke screens or the truth. Uh, word, well, he didn't do it personally, but word is from the Browns that they're not that enamored with any of the quarterbacks in this draft. So why would they do that if they're going to trade out? They they need to have people thinking like, hey, they're they're going to grab a quarterback. We need to give a king's ransom to move up. Complicated. There's a lot. Of, I mean, the draft's in May. A lot of things. A lot of things going on in the uh, the NFL web of lies that goes on for the next two months. All my bets were safe. There just wouldn't be any juice. They can't all be safe, Steve. I feel like my take overall was no take. <laughs> so let's I talked re- myself let's, in circles. That was kind of weak in the end, wasn't it? But, I'll admit it. But in a way, that's what a gambler does. Yeah. He thinks about, he has a first instinct. He thinks it through, comes up with a contingent. In a way, that was probably the sharpest thing you ever did because you landed that there wasn't any value. My answer is I'm not betting until I know more. All right. If you did that more often, you'd be better off. <laughs> Some quick, and we're getting down the home stretch, baby. Uh, a little bit of Oscars talk for me, and then the hottest take of the week, and then Cofield screaming, get off my lawn. 
last six years in the Oscars, the six big categories. Actually, we're going to go back 10 years, but the six big categories. What are those? Both acting categories for the men, both for the ladies. Also, best picture, best director, big six. Favorites, Cofield minus 500 or more. So minus 500, minus 600 and beyond. 29 and 0. There's been 29 times there's been a big favor. 29 times those favorites have won. All categories except all categories except best picture have a minus 500 favorite or better. So yeah, there's no locks, right? I mean, imagine what odds speaking of no locks, let's say we were sharing a tub of popcorn (laughs) and watching the Oscars together last year. And once the La La Land participants were on stage to accept best picture, if I would have turned to you and say, you know, I got a feeling that (laughs) Moonlight won. (laughs) What kind of odds would you have given me then? Oh, unbelievable. We got completely screwed. I had no idea Warren Beatty and some idiot off to the side was, you know, he was screwing around, not paying attention and blew the whole thing. That's not fair. Warren Beatty didn't blow it. It was the moron who was watching the cards. But the fact is, that wasn't a lot. Even at that point, it wasn't a lot. But history says five of the six categories are near locks. Now, another factor is in all those 10 years, there's never been an underdog pay more than six to one. In fact, Moonlight was six to one. That's the biggest underdog ever in those 10 years in the big six. So really, there's two angles. I'm not saying... Bet on those, you know, $10 wins you a dollar kind of favorites. Because you never know if there's value there. Even though we got 29 and 0, it's hard to know if there's value. Why won't you say that? Isn't this kind of the Fezzik principle and some of the crazy props that are, or is that more, more that, from a value standpoint? You got, you got a the data, overtime, yeah. 29 years of history. And that's Super Bowl props. And that's because you have a database with thousands of plays and thousands of games where yeah. you can feel so sure of those numbers. 29 and 0 isn't enough. Okay. Right. But what it tells you is you see all Meryl Streep's, you know, 100 to 1. That sounds juicy. Well, you've got two things. Now, one, there's a big favorite in that category. Number two, no underdog more than 6 to 1 has ever or has won in the last decade. So it keeps you away from taking shots with those value picks, which I think in the long run you'd lose money on. So is it safe to say betting the Oscars is sort of like betting WrestleMania? Because I always feel like wrestling odds are like that when you just see like some crazy minus number. We all know what's going to happen. To me, it's so funny because it sounds absurd to bet WrestleMania. But if you think about it, you're actually betting on what the writers are going to do. It's almost like who shot JR type Mm -hmm. stuff back in the day. Um, What you reference is the idea that if there could be inside information and you see one of the possible bets being extreme in the odds odds are the info's out right but the oscars they keep that very close to the best i just think there's so much history with the oscars with all the lead-up awards that they have a pretty good idea who's gonna win and who's not And, and again it's not a long shot kind of place i'll make a prediction somehow some way in the one versus two match of ronda rousey versus triple h and big steph ronda rousey is gonna be like minus 700 to win one on two somehow well, they paid her a lot of money. That's what I mean. Follow the money. Big bank, take little bank. Speaking of Rhonda. All right. I This is the hottest take of the week. 
So we had the take of the week that we like. We're going to have to come up with a better name for the take of the week. But the hottest take, I mean, it's on fire. It's, it's sizzling. And it's a short one. And it's from First Take. It's got all the participants, including Stephen A. And they're talking about LeBron James. I'm not going to tell you what they say because it is going to shock you. First Take and talk about with Max first talking about LeBron. Even if he is declining, he is declining at such a slow pace that people are actually sitting around going, is he getting better? Which is impossible, but he's making us imagine that. How could he be having a bad year? It does raise an eyebrow that he gets better as everyone gets worse. Huh. I'll leave it at that. Okay, then. Cliffhanger. What do you think of that, Cofield? I love LeBron James. We know what Stephen A. was hinting at. <laughs> PED usage. I'm not going to get mad at Stephen A. for that. I never will again. Why? I just never. I will never get angry at someone. Because you're a hot take hotshot? I will never get angry at someone for being cynical about someone's uh. natural ability to improve as they get older. So if you had to. If, if, if and I'm so- talking getting older in your 30s. Now, obviously, when you're 22, you're not really in your athletic prime. If. We knew we could get the the right answer, the honest answer. What odds would you take that LeBron, meaning if I said even money, and we knew we were going to get the right answer, LeBron PEDs, what would you bet? Yes. Wow. When would you have, just, again, obviously we're just, you're speculating no information is, and, and that's fine as long as you say you're doing that, which we're doing, is when would you guess? Do you think he did that all along, last couple of years, what? I'd lean towards back end of the career. I think that's when, listen, if you're not an achiever and you're, we'll, we'll compare it to baseball, like a quadruple A guy and you, Hey, you got to do this to make it. That's one set. But then I also think there's hey top level out. You know, you know, the best comparison is, is Alex Rodriguez. Alex Rodriguez was one of the top three players in baseball and well, Barry Bonds was too. A Rod all along and, and Barry, right? It's an ego thing and no one wants to not be the best. You talked about, being ultra competitive and your passion is your work. These guys are passionate about this stuff and LeBron doesn't want to slip. I'm not saying he's doing it. Stephen A seems but to But you're have... saying you think it's better than 50%. No, you've already said it. I did say it. You're right. What I bet you and I refuse to be a fool. <laughs> See, you're not, you're cynical. You refuse to be a fool. Never again. Never again. To me, what the more interesting conversation is, is, like what stuff have did we decide and not we but did the organizations decide that should be used and what shouldn't right because obviously back in the day with the you know the East Germans and all that it was a real negative health wise there was a lot of people you just see on the street that are on let's say you know PDs that are that their doctors will I know a guy who his doctor said, hey, listen, you got to lose about 10 pounds. You come in and lose five and I'll I'll say, put you on a 30 day cycle the second month. Like to incentivize him saying, take off five through your own hard work. I'll give you a steroid cycle for a month. And I mean, it's just a, a general practitioner here in town. So to, so if you got a GP doing that mm-hmm. nowadays, you know, the case could be made. I mean, there's people forget that for a minute. How about hormone replacement? 
Right on your on your radio station, there's all kind of advertisements of for that, right? How about blood spinning? Isn't that what Kobe went to Europe multiple times to go? Yeah, you know, get the whatever it is, oxygenated uh, blood. So in a way, the show's gone totally full circle because the hypocrisy of the kids not getting paid and all that. I think there's an equal amount of hypocrisy with all this with the PEDs because this one got grandfathered in or this one, and now we heard you know now there's this and now there's that. It's like. It, it, it like Adderall is something that in Silicon Valley they say like half the CEOs take Adderall. But if you were investing in a company and <laughs> you heard that your CEO wasn't taking Adderall, right. would you think, well, I don't want to invest in that company if he's not doing everything he can to succeed? You have two choices: the Adderall free company or the one where they may use it. I'm going with the one where they may use it. So it just see, I get it if. In a way, that's what the government's for is to protect people from themselves. If we know it's bad for you, it should be illegal or at least it moves me towards that direction. If it's responsibly prescribed HGH or steroids, then it should be fine. And if you're not going to allow it, then make the punishment so draconian that like literally two years off or something like that bad that no one would dare do it. Because this middle ground, same thing with college basketball, where we're going to act like it's bad, but we're going to wink at it. That's what creates the insidiousness of the doubts and skepticism. I had never thought of LeBron. I guess he's been such a, a physical marvel. I've never thought of that. But leave it to Cofield to think about it. So now, now we segue into, for many, becoming the favorite. And, and it's the final topic. The Cofield, rapidly approaching 50 get off my lawn rant. Well, I appreciate the compliment because I think my first two have been just so, so well, that's scary, but I'm going to, I'm going to set this up by saying, so I'm rapidly moving towards 50. So the sport that I should (laughs) love and embrace is golf. And I can't or ski, ski. What's that? uh, Shuffleboard. Sure. But there's not a whole lot of shuffleboard on TV. I guess curling. Uh, I should embrace golf. That's what old guys love. I am disliking golf more and more, and it's because of an elitist attitude. I feel like I can't make a connection. It's this country club snobbery, and you know what drives me the most nuts is the way the athletes behave when someone dares you know, lick their lips, take a picture with a, a freaking cell phone. They melt down if there's any noise, and... Justin Thomas, who just won the most recent tournament, said all you need to know about golf. They have a genuine disdain for you people, the great unwashed, who pay to go see the events live. You shut up. You enjoy the event. Don't make a peep. Don't look at us the wrong way. I mean, this is like, it's like going to watch Diana Ross or Barbara Streisand. You ever hear the rumors? They got so crazy. They're like, personnel in this hotel, they're not allowed to look at me. That's where golfers are now. Justin Thomas hit a shot on a par three. Someone in the crowd had the unbelievable temerity to act like a fan and said, get in the bunker. That's like any other sport, right? So the shot had already been taken. Yes. Okay. The shot's in the air. So you can say, you the man. Yep. And in basketball, right? Noise. Free throw goes up. Miss, miss, miss. Every other sport, you can root against the athletes, but not in golf. Justin Thomas, without hesitation, all 5'7", 142 of them, turns to the side and goes, who said that? Who said that? You said that? 
Have a good day, buddy. You're out of here. Like, what? <laughs> you're just one of the athletes participating. Now you're policing the crowd and telling someone because they cheered against you that they need to leave. That is gross. He apologized, but he really didn't apologize because he still said he was uncomfortable with people doing that. It's just not polite. Every other sport, fans can be engaged and actually root against you. Golf would be so much better if the crowds were a little bit rowdy and you could really root for your favorite, but especially root against the person you don't want to win. We've got a little clip from the comedian Bill Burr on the topic <laughs> of golf. Golf. <laughs> Dude, the fact that everybody has to shut up when you hit the ball. There's nobody guarding you. Oh, simmer down. Simmer down, everybody. He's going to hit the ball. Shh. You ever watch somebody take a free throw in basketball? There's like 5,000 people going, F*** you, F*** your mother. And this thing here, it's not even moving. Dude, they've changed the clubs. These used to be made out of wood. It was too heavy for them. Too heavy for these cheating banker right? Steve, did you ever think back that you, I mean, you're not particularly funny, but did you ever think that, <laughs> that you should do stand-up comedy, like like just ranting on stage would have been your thing? No, I have a lot of Bill Burr-like takes, but you're right. The, the chops, like I don't make the connection. It just comes off as really angry and almost never funny, and it's like intimidating and kind of scary. Well, listen, if you want more of that kind of stuff on Twitter, at Steve Cofield, and if you have to choose one of us to follow, though, his Twitter handle is at RJ in Vegas. I recommend me. <laughs> we'll be we'll be back next week with another. Don't bet on it.